Welcome to Divorce Etc. hosted by us, the ex-experts. We're here to give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Plus, we're asking a lot of the questions that you may not even think of or know to ask, but we know because we've lived it, so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. Welcome everybody to today's podcast featuring Laura Cowan from the law office of Laura Cowan. She specializes in trust and estate law, so estate planning. Um, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks Thank for coming you. back, Laura. Thanks. So today we're going to talk about gray divorce. And before we started recording, I was saying, is there any other word than gray divorce? And you've got your options of elderly and, you know, older American. This isn't about the actual divorce process, but Laura's going to take us through the, the um, important parts of estate planning that come into play when you are older and you are going through a divorce from the financial side and your trusts and wills and, and what we need to know so that you know. So let's get started. Yeah, so there are definitely some special considerations that people, um, older Americans should be thinking about uh, in terms of their estate planning <clears throat> that you know that maybe aren't quite as important for, for younger Americans. Um, and it, you know what, one of those is it's really important to have what we call a financial power of attorney and a healthcare proxy for this group of people. What a power of attorney is, is basically a written authorization uh, that allows another person to act on your behalf. And so it ensures that the person that you've chosen is the one making financial decisions for you if you're unable to do that yourself. So it's really important to have what we call a durable power of attorney. And this guarantees that the document is going to stay in effect if you become incapacitated, whereas a non-durable power of attorney automatically ends if you become incapacitated. The reason this is a little bit more important for older Americans is that the likelihood of becoming incapacitated is a little bit higher. So um, who's going to pay your bills? Who's going to file your income taxes? Things like that in the event that you're not able to manage those things on your own. So that's one document that older Americans should be thinking about. Laura, so I have a question and I, I want to do the run through of the documents. I feel like that kind of a checklist, that information is so important for people like of a certain age that are going through divorce now with grown children. I'm curious to know like what you see from your end in terms of what the biggest, or maybe this is the answer, the checklist, but like what are the biggest differences that people have to focus on based on their generation or their age specifically? Yeah, well, incapacity is a, is a big one because it's just more likely to happen as you're older. And incapacity is basically, you know, it means different things, but it's basically when a person becomes mentally unable to manage their own financial and or medical affairs. And so <clears throat> this is when the power of attorney and the advanced healthcare directives, you know, become really important. So, um, you know, because you're just more likely to become incapacitated as you get older. So that's definitely something um, that, that you want to think about if you're in that age group and just getting these documents in place now while you're while you, while you have full capacity, right? Right. Because if you get to the point where you start to lack capacity, then you won't have the option to get put to, to put these documents in place, and maybe a court proceeding is going to be necessary to name someone to manage your affairs, and you don't want that because that's going to be expensive and time consuming. So what do these documents actually say? 
What do they actually include? What is a durable power of attorney mean? Yeah, so what it means is it, it lets you name somebody that you trust implicitly to pay your bills, file your income taxes, you know, access your bank accounts, do all the things with your money that you would be able to do, but you can't do because you're incapacitated. So, um, you know, a lot of times spouses name each other, but it's good to have a backup. And I suppose if you're, if you're divorced, then you're not going to have a spouse. So you might, might want to name an adult child. And this is just someone that you trust totally to, to, to manage those affairs on your behalf. Again, without one, then someone's going to have to go to court to get permission to do things like this for you. And that's going to be an expensive, you know, time consuming process. So, you know, you can tailor your power of attorney to say what you want it to say, and your attorney will work with you on that. So I'm curious about, um, for people who kind of were already responsible enough to deal with a lot of their, um, financial planning and, and wills and estates and trusts and stuff, uh, when they maybe first got married and maybe their children were younger. Okay. And now in they're in the, this age group of, of gray divorce, their children are likely much older. They could be married, you know, on their own, have their own families. So for someone who wants to change the documents that they had had drawn up before, I mean, that's what this is all about. Obviously you're taking your former spouse out of these documents and you're, you know, changing who's responsible, but what about when it comes to you want to change the circumstances maybe for your children, either God forbid someone has lost a child or, or fortunately a child is, you know, doing so well on their own that the parent is going to, you know, leave more to the other ones because this one, you know, is now a gajillionaire and doesn't need it. I remember in a prior conversation, part of what you were talking about was certain kind of trusts that can't be changed. <laughs> so how do you navigate that? Yeah, so that is a great point. And, and, and that being, you know, the estate planning that you do when your children are three, five, and eight is going to be different from the estate planning you do when they're 43, 45, and 48. And so, you know, that's when you start to consider things like, just like what you said, you know, one child is doing really, really well, is fine with not inheriting any money. The other child could definitely uh, use the help. You might want to incorporate that into your estate plan, or maybe you've got a child who's a physician and they are, um, you know, <clears throat> malpractice is a concern. You don't necessarily want to leave that child, their inheritance, what we say outright, which is just, you get a big check and then you put it in your checking account. Then if they ever get sued, that money is not protected in any way. So hmm. um, you maybe you've got one child that you're worried they're going to get a divorce. Again, if you leave them their inheritance outright, they might just commingle that money with, uh, with their spouse. And then half of that could be lost in a divorce as well. So that's a really great point. When you're older, your kids are going to be older and their needs and their concerns are going to be different than when they were minors. And you definitely, you know, a lot of people, they, they, the old fashioned way to think about estate planning is just, you know, it goes to the three kids equally, each gets a third and that's kind of the end of it. Right. There's actually a lot, you know, first of all, you may not want them to all get equal shares and it doesn't mean you love them any differently. It just means their circumstances are different. And then, you know, leaving them the assets outright as opposed to putting protections in place based on where they are at their life and in their life. And there's a lot of different options um, that you have to choose from that your estate planning attorney can, can walk you through. So 
is there anything that you could have um, put into place when your children were younger that now you're basically locked into and you may not change because it's just not legally permissible to adjust the circumstances? Yeah, I mean, it's possible when you were, your kids were younger, you set up um, irrevocable trusts. Um, it's not, it's probably not very likely, you know, if you have a will that you've had for the, for, you know, that can be changed easily. If you've done something called a revocable living trust, which is a will substitute that lets you avoid probate court, all of that can be changed. Most likely any current estate planning documents that you have can be tweaked or amended. Um, and, and that brings up a great point, which is that, you know, estate planning is not something that you just do once and then never think about again. Um, you know, the estate plan that you did when your kids were little, you know, doesn't apply anymore. So, so these are documents that you can change and you should change and update as time goes on. And most likely, if you have documents in place, they can be amended or revoked entirely. That's another option as well. Um, I have another question. Um, you had mentioned before in another conversation that some documents are only valid in, in a certain state that you're in. And if you move somewhere else or you have dual residence. So let's say you have a home in Florida and a home in New York and your documents are based in New York, but you're in Florida. How does that work when you're you know, of a certain age or young and you have two locations and, and you have these kinds of documents coming into play now? Yeah, so you want your will or your trust to be based in the state that you are, you know, technically a resident, whatever state you pay taxes in. But then you might want to have um, a healthcare proxy that's valid in each of the states, you know, a New York healthcare proxy, where you name someone to make medical decisions for you in New York that follows New York law, and then a similar document that follows Florida law. That's not a very expensive document to have. Um, so it might make sense to have something like, like a healthcare proxy that's valid in both states. Um, but your, your overall estate plan will be based in the, in the state that you are a, a resident in. Gotcha. You, you um, which I think is so important that we should really continue to emphasize to people, like it's, it's not a one and done situation. Just because you may have created your trust and estate and will plan X number of years ago, it is something that you need to, as you said, go back and revisit and tweak as needed. So my question is, is there kind of um, a standard timeline or a suggested every X number of years? Is it like you should go back and change it every 10 years? Is it every five years, every 15 years? Like what would you recommend would be a good um, you know, timeline for people to keep in mind? Yeah, so that's a great question. So you, you, you I, I would say three years at, a, at an absolute minimum. And that doesn't mean that you have to change your documents every three years. It just means that you should check in with your estate planning attorney, or they should frankly be checking in with you. <laughs> um, you know, at least every three years, I check in with my clients once a year and, and a check in just being, you know, have you had any major life events? Has anyone passed away? Have you inherited a lot of money? these things might warrant a, a, a tweak to your estate planning documents. They might not, but you know, there's no point in doing these documents if they, just, if they grow stale. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend if your documents are more than three years old, that you definitely uh, check in with your estate planning attorney. The other thing is that even if your life hasn't changed significantly in that three years, the laws might have changed. So the laws are always changing. Mm. Um, you know, your estate planning attorney is going to be on top of that, but 
You know, there might be reasons for you to change your estate planning documents that you're not even aware of um, that, you know, that could be Can really Can you important. give an example of that, that might like resonate with people and they may, you know, cause that's, I can't even imagine what, what that could mean. Yeah, so the estate tax laws are a great example for that. Um, estate tax is a tax that is due on estates that are above a certain dollar amount when someone passes away. Is it a nationwide dollar amount or does it vary state to state? Well, there's both. There's a federal, there's a nationwide dollar amount, which right now is about $11.5 million per person. Okay. So I don't have to worry there. about that. Right. <laughs> Most of my clients, they laugh when I say that. Okay. Um, and then in New York, if you've got more than about $5.8 million, uh, that those are the current, those are the current laws. Those laws change. They change frequently. Um, most people right now don't have to pay estate tax when they pass away because most people don't have more than five and a half million or eleven million dollars. But you know, a few years ago, those numbers were as low as um, as a million dollars. Oh, and a that's lot a big of people, difference. Yeah, yeah. So those laws are always changing. In fact, you know, Biden has proposed reducing the federal number from eleven and a half million to three point five million. Wow. And that actually includes life insurance, which a lot of people don't consider part of their estate. So if you add up all, everything that you own and then you throw in the life insurance that gets paid wow. out when you pass away, you might be above that. Mm. Okay. So what I, what I recommend is you know, checking in every three years with your attorney and, and even more important, work with an attorney who's gonna check in with you. You know, It's kind of their job to keep up with these things you know, and to, to reach out to their clients every year I can't tell you how many times I work with people who they say, you know, my, my lawyer drafted this will for me 10 years ago and I haven't heard from them since. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. I'm trying to think, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I don't even remember who did my first one with, with my first marriage. I literally have no idea. Um, I know who, who did the one with Leo because that wasn't that long ago, but, um, but you're right. I, I feel like it's not something or I, those emails go into spam. <laughs> well, but my, my estate, um, my attorney for my estate planning stuff, he sends me a calendar every year. So that's my reminder. So I remember where he's, he's still alive and where he's located <laughs> Right. And it remind it's a reminder. I haven't checked my will, but that is another thing I'm going to do. And from our last conversation, I already got my girls' health proxies in New Orleans. Oh, good! They're in college. Oh, yeah, right you now. have to get it. I mean, that's you know a no brainer. Well, T, since since your divorce, have I you can't. you have. You changed it when you got divorced, but you've also changed it since then. I changed it because I changed my last name. So I had to change it again. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. And I did actually read through it when I did it. Cause oh, I was saying for it to get changed anyway. So I right. may as well. Right. You know, go no, it makes it sense. So our, okay. So the incapacitation is a major issue as, I mean, it really should be for anyone. Cause you never go, God forbid, horrific accidents. But I understand that at an, at, at an older age, that's definitely more of a concern for people. So are there any other like major red flags that people don't want to admit to and they don't want to think about because this is the kind of thing you know I have these I don't want to say I have these conversations with my parents all the time because I don't all the time but it's not infrequent 
that my mother will be like, you know, the code to the safe, right? You know where we keep. And I'm like, I, I you don't tell me any, like, just tell my brother. And like, that's all fine. And yes, I know the code to the safe and I'm never planning on using it. But like, are there any other red flags or urgent issues that people really need to be thinking about at this age for divorce versus, you know, if they're in their early thirties? Yeah, no, that's a great question because, you know, the answer is, um, you know, your kids are probably grown now as well, you know, so you know, I've teenagers, were, 14 and 17. Well, not you. I mean, people like people, uh, older Americans. Yes. You know? Okay. The great They're divorce people. Group. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So that's a whole different ball of wax. And, and so what it means is that, you know, you can include your adult children in your planning to the extent that you feel comfortable. It doesn't necessarily mean telling them what's in the documents, although that's also an option. But, you know, one of the things that I like to do is have family meetings where we invite the adult children and the parents, the advisors, if you have a CPA, financial advisor, and we get everyone together, you know, we don't, we don't reveal more than the client wants to reveal, but we do talk about, okay, this is, this is your role. You know, you've been named as the trustee. What does that mean? You can tell the adult child that you can't, you know, when your kids are minors, that's not important, but, um, you know, you That's can an interesting concept. Yeah. I feel like I should tell my parents to maybe do that because I think that they probably try to drop these little nuggets on us randomly and separately. No, but what you're saying, there's no question my brother who is a financial advisor is the key to all of their things. But I do feel like that might actually be an interesting conversation to have to one day, like actually set up and say, we should all be on this Zoom and let's go over this stuff for you guys. And that way you're on the same page. It's not like, oh, well, they told you this. They told me this. They told her that. Right. It's an even playing field. Like things get really ugly when there's situations. I'm literally going to bring this up with them tonight. Yeah, yeah. And the best way to bring it up is to say, you know, you don't have to tell me necessarily who's getting what or how much money you have. You know, people are funny about- As long as I'm getting the most, we're good. (laughs) Just don't tell them our deal. You can't, you can talk about though, like I named you as the healthcare proxy, you know, child number one, and we're only allowed to, allowed to name one person at a time, you know, and explain that you can't, we can't name two people. So we just had to pick one. So we chose you, but I've chosen you child too, as my power of attorney. And this is why I did that. You know, if something happens, here's the lawyer we worked with, give her a call just to get on the same page. So the plan works when it has to, that's, that's, that's the goal here is that everyone knows what they're supposed to do. I have a very important question before we, before we wrap things up. So as an adult, I'm a grown up, and my siblings are grown ups, And um, I, I think this is probably a non-issue in my family. God, I hope so. But so let's say you're having this family conversation and you're saying, okay, child number one, you are the power of attorney or you're the healthcare proxy, whatever the case may be. What do you do if... God forbid you're in that situation where the healthcare proxy person has to play that role. And now the children are not in agreement of what that the procedure should be. And, and I guess it doesn't matter because if you've already dictated as your healthcare proxy, you're just doing whatever it is that, that, that they said to do. So I, maybe my question is irrelevant. Well, that's the reason why in New York state, you can't, you cannot name co-agents. Because if you, let's say you name both children and then one says we should do X, Y, Z and the other says, no, you know, that's not helpful. So you're only allowed to name one at a time um, in New York. Okay. 
but right. but you're right. There's there's the potential for conflict. You know, these are tough situations. Um, but the family meeting at least gives you a chance with the attorney kind of supervising the whole thing to explain how things will play out in the event of an emergency or a death. I think that's great. What? I love it. That's like a huge, like for me, that's the biggest takeaway of today. Family meetings with the attorney uh, refereeing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really into that. That's a great information. So, um, so helpful. Thank you yet again for coming back and sharing all of your expertise and insight with the ex-experts community, because we know that this is one of the most important areas and an area that people don't necessarily really want to think about. They don't want to have to think about. Um, it, it clouds people's heads and it's just, you know, along with all the financial stuff, it's just not something that's in the forefront of everyone's minds when going through divorce. So it's such an important thing to be, to be discussing. For people who have questions and want to reach out to you directly, what are the best ways to reach you? Yeah, so we try to make the process as painless as possible because it is not fun to think about, but I, I do think it brings a huge amount of uh, peace of mind. And, you know, so the best way to, to reach out to me is to either, and I think you'll have this information on your website as well, but, um, you know, feel free to, to send me an email. It's Laura, <clears throat> Law.com. And um, we also, you know, the first step in our process is to come in for what we call a peace of mind planning session. Right come in slash do it via Zoom. Um, so this is just a one hour session with me where we'll talk about your goals and your objectives and I'll kind of present your different options and, and our fees. And if you decide to move forward, we'll talk about next steps. Uh, we usually charge 450 for this session, but for the ex experts community, we'll waive the fee. Thank you. So it's, a, it's a free session, which I'm happy to do. So, um, you know, that can be booked as well at um, Calendly. My, our calendar is calendly.com slash estate plan, slash design. And I think you'll have that link in your, on your yeah. page as well. Yeah. So um, send me an email or you can get, you can call my office 212-760-2956 um, and we can get you on the calendar to come in for a peace of mind planning session. Great, Amazing. thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. Can't ha wait to have you back to, for further informing all of our community about the things that they need to do with estate planning. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Divorce Etc. with the ex-experts. We really hope this episode was helpful for you in getting information you need and feeling empowered to get through it. And always remember there are so many of us just like you. Now please hit the subscribe button so you always get new episodes and please rate and review us. You can also check out our website filled with free resources at xexperts.com. Follow us on social on Instagram and Facebook and send us an email to let us know your thoughts or any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about. See you next time.